On New Year's Eve 2019, Don Gibson was on the decks. He's a trance DJ. Well, he's not always a trance DJ. He's also an information security professional who has held security architect and higher positions for more than 20 years. At the time, he was a security architect with TravelX, which is the global foreign exchange and remittance company. But on that night, he was just Don One, the number one, on the decks. He thinks he was DJing the vandalism remix of Back Once Again by DJ Hironsky when his phone started lighting up. We really started noticing it uh, in the evening because uh, it had started in the Far East. And as it had started in the Far East at 12 o'clock, then the time zones meant that we were starting to get reports of stuff when we still could react. So it was a case of phone started lighting up. I was like, oh, it must be New Year's stuff. Had a look at it and started working on the incident while still on the decks. The incident was ransomware. A note appeared on Travelex computers, which had just been encrypted. It was from the R Evil Gang, one of the most prolific ransomware groups that's now defunct. A ransom note read, It is just business. We absolutely do not care about you or your details, except getting benefits. For Don, that night started a turbulent period that lasted throughout the rest of the year. Don's name became publicly linked with the TravelX incident, and the intention was completely undesired. His story is one of how social media, a frantic incident response, and stress contributed to a nearly tragic health outcome. He went from IR, or incident response, to the ER, the hospital's emergency room. This is The Ransomware Files. I'm Jeremy Kirk. In this podcast miniseries, I'm speaking with those who have navigated their way through a ransomware incident and learn how they fought back and what tips they can pass on to others. No ransomware infection is ever welcomed, but there's invaluable knowledge gained. There should be no shame in getting infected, but it's important to share the lessons. There are limits on what Don can say about Travelex's ransomware infection and its recovery. He's still bound by a non-disclosure agreement. But anyone who follows information security news remembers that the Travelex incident was probably one of the most mentioned data security incidents of that year. It gained notoriety because of Travelex's footprint. It's one of the largest retail, foreign exchange, and remittance companies in the world. Just about anyone who's walked through an international airport has probably walked past a Travelex desk where behind the counter is cash from around the world. It operated in at least 70 countries and had more than 1,200 branches. It had its own 1,000-strong ATM fleet, and it had high-security vaults where it stored currency. It was a complicated business, and information technology touched all parts of it. Then, ransomware enters the picture on New Year's Eve 2019. Some services go down and others are intentionally taken down. Its websites go offline. Customers can't order currency. The Travelex money card, which is a prepaid MasterCard, can't be reloaded. Its internal network is partially damaged and encrypted, and it affected the operations of those physical vaults too by disrupting the movement of cash. 
And those vaults weren't just for travelers who wanted, say, some euros to head off from Heathrow to Malaga. Travelex helped supply cash to wholesale clients that the Wall Street Journal reported included central banks, casinos, and hotels. In just a few short months, Travelex went into administration, in part because of the ransomware attack and in part due to the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the travel industry. At least 1,300 people in the UK even ended up losing their jobs. Travelex is still around today. In August 2020, it completed a restructuring with new investor funds. But for Don, all of that mess was just in his near future. He started with Travelex just eight months prior to the attack. I was there as a security architect to do a large transformation piece uh, across the board. So uh, they had a lot of, they didn't, they didn't like calling it a legacy. So there's a lot of classic systems there. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's certainly one way of putting it. <laughs> certainly one way of putting it. Um, uh, and so uh, I've been brought in to help usher through uh, certain things. For example, uh, moving to Office 365, making sure that's entirely up and working proper. They wanted to transform rather than lift and shift, because obviously they're two very different things. So they're just going, tink, tink, tink. it was a case of, no, we want to go through the business system. We want to understand the data flow. We want to understand the actual requirements of the business. And we want to design the system itself. And this brand new system that can be evergreen, it can be designed properly with security the first way, the first time, etc. And therefore, we will have a very solid foundation for the business to, to uh, use for the next 20 years. Don didn't have anything to do with the day-to-day security operations at TravelX, which involved the usual sort of monitoring and investigation piece common to keeping everything tidy and secure. But after the infection kicked off, everyone helped with the incident response. It, it, it really is all hands to the pump. It's everybody who knows anything help get in get in and help january 2020 i worked over 375 hours that's over three months worth of work in one my boss i believe did more towards the end of the month it was getting ugly um <laughs> personally getting ugly Don can't talk a lot about what happened during incident response due to the nda but the bits he worked on luckily were okay that included Office 365, which ran in the cloud. And that was great because it meant the organization as a whole could still communicate and use email. Our Evil's ransomware did have some slight effects on his patch, but Don said he put in place two backup schemes. Microsoft would back up about the last 14 days and Travelex also used Barracuda for Office 365 backups. So we were able to just wipe wipe those files out, recover them just, just like that. So Don's part of the network was all right. But a broader question was, how were Travelex's systems infected in the first place? The automatic question will be, well, if your systems were so good, how come you didn't get alerts or whatever else? I can't answer that. Or rather, I'm not allowed to answer that. Don says to this day, he still doesn't definitely know the infection vector. The incident response report has never been released. But there is a plausible theory for how it happened. Around five days after the attack, a likely source for Travelex's infection emerged on Twitter. A Chicago-based threat intelligence company called Bad Packets tweeted that it had sent a warning to Travelex in September 2019. 
TravelX had seven servers running Pulse Secure VPN software that did not have a critical patch. Here's a bit of background on what all that means. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. It's software that makes a secure connection between your computer and another one, or in the case of TravelX, it was its corporate network. Companies often use VPNs as a gateway to their internal networks, but they're falling out of fashion in favor of more secure alternatives. Attackers who obtain login credentials for someone's VPN could get access to a company's entire network. The Pulse Secure vulnerability was CVE 2019-11510, and it was really bad and really easy to exploit. A remote attack could result in what's called an arbitrary file reading. In this case, that arbitrary file could contain hashed MD5 user passwords, cached plaintext passwords, cookies, private keys, and configurations for other things like LDAP and SAML. Bad Packets was founded by Troy Mersch, and his company is one of the good guys when it comes to defending against attacks like ransomware. It has a worldwide network of what are called honeypots. Honeypots are servers or computers that are designed to look appealing to malicious hackers and cybercriminals. These online traps can give an indication when bad actors are scanning the internet for new systems to attack. By laying these traps, bad packets can collect intelligence on things like botnet activity and vulnerability exploitation trends and other data that's really useful in defense. In 2019, ransomware crews were having a field day with VPN vulnerabilities. That year, there were severe vulnerabilities found in VPN software made by not only Pulse Secure, but also Palo Alto Networks and Fortinet. Pulse Secure did issue an emergency patch in April 2019, but many organizations were not patching their vulnerable applications despite many warnings. So in August 2019, Bad Packers decided to do something about it. They detected that someone or some group was mass scanning the internet and trying to find unpatched instances of Pulse Secure and other VPN software. On August 19, 2019, Bad Packets found that there were more than 14,000 Pulse Secure VPN endpoints on the internet that had not been patched. Those affected included government agencies, schools, hospitals, utilities, financial institutions, media outlets, and Fortune 500 companies, and of course, TravelX. Bad Packets then undertook a massive unpaid effort to try and warn organizations of the dangers of leaving it unpatched. It sent out emails to thousands of organizations. It was a Herculean Good Samaritan effort. And in part, it worked. After 11 days, scanning showed that more than 4,000 previously vulnerable Pulse Secure servers had now been patched, but not TravelX. Fast forward to early January, TravelX is about five days into its incident response. On January 5th, 2020, Bad Packets tweets the actual warning email it had sent TravelX on September 13th, 2019. The tweet says, quote, we notified TravelX of their vulnerable Pulse Secure servers on September 13th, 2019. No response, end quote, meaning no response from the company. Three full TravelX email addresses are in plain view in the screenshot. And if you want to niggle about it, two of the email addresses are considered personal data according to Europe's general data protection regulation. 
Don's email address is on there and it immediately starts causing him problems. Uh, it gets alerted to me by uh, a member of my team who was who followed him. And yeah, so but basically, Don, I think you need to see this. And I'm sitting there going, that was what, on the 5th or 6th, I'd had maybe four hours sleep since New Year's. And I'm going, well, what now? And that, that was the answer. So, yes, not not great. So of the three Travelex email addresses, only one was actually monitored. That was Don's. And the message from Bad Packets didn't clear his spam filter. It went to his junk mail, but Don managed to catch it. I generally look in my junk folder a couple of times a week. I do remember when I saw it, I was in a very boring meeting. My, my attention was wandering. So I was like, right, what, what else can I do? Oh, I see this, right. I see this, right. Off to the person where it should have gone to. I don't even know how, how we picked out my email address. As he says, Don forwarded the email to the appropriate security team at Travelex that handles patching. He says he doesn't respond to people he doesn't know over email, which is why Bad Packets didn't get a response. That was the end of it for Don until the email surfaced again on Twitter on January 5th, 2020. Don says he then starts getting contacted by journalists. Threat intelligence companies eventually use the screenshot of the email in their literature as an example of what happens to companies that fail to promptly patch. His name becomes the closest direct one attached to a failure to patch, even though he had nothing to do with patching. And overall, this came as Travelex was just getting battered on social media. The, the fact that the team is going through so much, and I personally go through so much, because all of a sudden, there's a name to this, and it's my name, which means I'm getting doorstepped by press. I'm getting contacted by this. I'm having this, that, and the other, and I don't need that on top of this. I'm already in a really bad place because the company I'm working for is in trouble, and I'm trying to fix it. I contacted Troy Mersch of Bad Packets. He declined to comment. I don't think there's actually a lot of daylight between Don and Troy, however. Troy was trying to help when he initially sent the email, and Don was trying to help his own company by forwarding it on. They were both doing the right thing. But in retrospect, it might have been prudent to at least redact the email addresses before posting that email just days after the attack on Twitter. Maybe saying, I told you so, so soon after an attack is something that could have waited. Don's still a bit sore about it, but he also doesn't want that to take away from the good work that Bad Packets has done. In some ways, I do have some admiration for Troy Mersch by the fact that he's actively going out and trying to help, which is why I'm, uh, that I'll be willing to give him a pass on, on this one. How much blame should be apportioned to organizations that get infected with ransomware? It's often cast as a shameful situation, and no one feels worse than those on the IT security team. We have to remember that Travelex, like any other organization that is hit by ransomware, was a victim of a crime. And while it is possible to spot fault from the outside, only people who worked inside Travelex know what went down. Did the patch team see the email that Don forwarded from bad packets? What were Travelex's patching policies? Was there someone on Travelex's IT security team jumping up and down about how important it was to patch PulseSecure, but a manager dismissed the warning? To this day, we still have an incomplete picture. To be sure, Travelex didn't help itself either. It was a bit slow to acknowledge the obvious, which is that it had been struck by ransomware. 
And then shortly after the attack, the story got even messier. Our evil claimed that it had stolen five gigabytes of personal data, including birth dates and social security numbers, before encrypting Travelex's systems. This is often referred to as double extortion. Ransomware actors grab as much data as possible from a victim's network prior to encrypting it. Then, if a victim has good backups and doesn't need to pay to decrypt the data, they might pay to prevent the release of that sensitive data. Travelex, however, said a week after the attack that there was no evidence that data had been taken. Around January 17, 2020, Travelex's top executive finally got in front of a camera and recorded a short statement on the state of the company. Hello, I am Tony D'Souza, CEO of Travelex. This is the first opportunity I've had to speak to you directly about the cyber attack that impacted us from the 31st of December. Well, he probably should have fronted the public sooner than 18 days or so after the attack, but he continues. When we discovered the virus, we took the tough decision to first isolate the parts of the business where it was initially found and then take down the rest of our systems. This enabled us to prevent its spread and minimize the damage. The majority of our business did in fact remain operational. At all times, we remained focused on protecting our customers' data and containing the virus. We engaged internationally renowned cyber experts to run forensic analysis and we have not to date uncovered any evidence to suggest that any customer data has left the organization. So what's important in that statement is that Tony repeats the point that there's no evidence that personal data was taken. We know that our evil often stole data before actually launching the ransomware. So that's great for people who use Travelex's services and provided their personal data. Then in April of that year, the Wall Street Journal reported that Travelex paid around 2.3 million in Bitcoin to the R evil attackers. The source was anonymous, but the journal wrote it was someone who was familiar with the transaction. The Wall Street Journal also said that the R evil group had told it back in January that it had received payment from Travelex. It appears that the payment wasn't to stop the release of customers' personal data, and it appears that R evil was bluffing. The UK's Data Protection Authority is the Information Commissioner's Office. The ICO told me it was satisfied that no personal information was breached based on the information Travelex provided. So why did Travelex pay our evil? Was it to get a decryption key for data that maybe wasn't backed up? Maybe Travelex panicked in the early days after the attack and believed our evil's bluff that it had a lot of personal data. We don't really know. There's one last bit to this part of the story. A Travelex customer named Robert Pecan filed a class action suit in New York federal court against Travelex in June 2020. The lawsuit alleged that Robert and 100 other class members were at an increased risk of identity theft as a result of the attack. Travelex challenged the suit on several grounds. It contended that Robert hadn't demonstrated what personal data of his was compromised as a result of the ransomware attack and what harm came of it. The court record shows the lawsuit was voluntarily dismissed by Robert's legal team in September 2020. By September 2020, Don had already had a very long year. His health was wavering. The team, the team gets to the end. We are spent, absolutely spent. The team, even the small IR team, well, me and the CISO alone had put in over half a year's worth of work in a month. Just, just, the, two, just the two of us. 
There are others that were just as ragged. The company in its wisdom didn't apply any time in lieu or anything. Now, that sounds absolutely terrible, and it's not great. Basically, my heart started messing around and uh, to the point where it was, it was really, really weird. Got there, and there was an arrhythmia found. I call it, uh, atrial fibrillation is the name of it. It's where there's an anomalous current going between the top two ventricles of the heart, and instead of going squish, 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 they start getting all messed up. And so I end up getting a uh, little heart monitor. Don's a gardener. In September 2020, Don went down to a machinery shop that was having a sale. I kind of popped in, just, what's there, what's there? Shells are more or less bare, except for a wood chipper. And I'm just sitting <laughs> there going, f*** yeah. <laughs> he went to work with the wood chipper, which worked brilliantly, until... And I started not feeling so good. And uh, the vision started going slightly grey around the edges. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't feel good. Let me take myself in and check my heart rate, which was... 280 BPM. So I said, I'm a, I'm a trance DJ. The fastest I've ever recorded a track was exactly half that. He didn't go to the hospital. Instead, he went inside and took his heart pills. He called his dad the next day, who's a medical doctor. He sent his dad a picture of his heart trace. His dad told him to go to hospital immediately. Uh, I was immediately put into ICU and a couple of... Uh, must have been just over a month later, I was on the slab having a four and a half hour heart operation, which was not on my to-do list at 44, definitely not on my life plan. And I can tell you, heart surgery sucks. But it's a shed way better than the alternative. He left Travelex at the end of 2020. He's now head of cyber for the UK's Department of International Trade. Two of the people who worked with him at Travelex did reward him for a very long year, but not quite in the traditional way. It was in a way that meant a lot more to him. And this is where the really beautiful thing about my boss and my boss's boss come out, is that uh, I left Travelex. Um, I was going to be a, a civil servant, and civil servants don't get uh, private medical. And so as part of my leaving package, they gave me a year's medical from Travelex to look after me because of everything that had gone on. And for that, I can never thank them enough. The Travelex experience has left a lasting impression on Don. He speaks at conferences about the importance of taking mental and physical health into account, not only for CISOs, but for anyone on a security team. Don himself is neurodiverse, and everyone has different thresholds for stress. He says he remembers an exchange just days after the ransomware struck with Travelex CEO Tony D'Souza, who sat behind him in an open plan office. He, he started to, to understand the cyber ethos when I think it was, it must have been the third or fourth day, we were the only two in the office. And I turned around to him and went, how are you doing? And he went, pardon? <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, you're the head of this, so it's like... This, this, that, and the other. Everyone's looking to you. How are you doing? Are you all right? And uh, at that point, he understood that all of us were trying to look after everyone. It's a tough place to be. It, tell you what, when the brown stuff's hitting the revolving object, it's a lonely place to be. 
you have people in ivory towers throwing muck or whatever else trying to liaise between NCSC, the police, incident response teams, your board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot going on. And health very quickly slips to the bottom of that list. You're running on adrenaline. And yeah, adrenaline will only take you so far. Don says people need rest during incidents, even when the work appears like it's never going to end. There should be at least two teams that can rotate so the other gets some rest. Companies should practice their IR plans to have a clear idea of what they're going to need to do and how difficult those tasks may be. And lastly, he says that major responses to an incident, such as ransomware, aren't just an IT or cyber thing. He says it's an everybody thing. This is one thing that I've been very vocal about, is that ransomware is not a cyber problem. It is a technology problem. It's an HR problem. It's a commercial problem. It's a board problem. Yes, it's a cyber problem. It's an everybody problem. This episode of The Ransomware Files was written, researched, edited, and produced by me, Jeremy Kirk. The production coordinator is Rashi Ramesh. The Ransomware Files theme song and other original music in this episode is by Chris Gilbert of Ordinary Weirdos Music. If you enjoyed this episode of The Ransomware Files, please share it and leave a review. It will help keep this project going. The series has its own Twitter handle, at Ransomware Files, which tweets news and happenings about ransomware. I'm on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Kirk. If you would like to participate in this project or have an idea for it, please get in touch. The project is looking for other people, organizations, and companies that can share their unique experiences for the benefit of all until ransomware hopefully becomes a thing of the past. <laughs>